In reference to the, the award, I, I do want to say this. I believe that when uh, occasionally I receive uh, things like that, recognitions like that, I know really it's a recognition of First Methodist Church and the service that you do uh, around the world in this country uh, and in this community. It's a really special thing to understand that. We do it together, and somehow they look at one person and say, well, there's a person we can identify, and so it comes to you. But really, it's about all of us together. Especially want to celebrate the ministry of Susan Luttrell, who leads our outreach mission. Susan has such a huge part of all we do in this community outreach-wise, connecting in so many ways. Sometimes I feel guilty that I get an award when I know she did most of the work. And so we want to thank Susan Luttrell and her team for what they do in outreach in our communities also. I don't know if Susan's here or not. She sometimes comes to church. Is Susan here anywhere? Where is she? Okay, there she is. Oh, she, there she is. There's Susan. She likes being the center of attention even less than I do. So for, for those that know us, understand what that is. And Teresa Sherwood, who leads our mission team. That's a worldwide mission. So much that she leads and has done as part of our, our community as well. And we have to celebrate her. I, and I know, what, again, when I receive awards, I think, you know, I do some things, but really I know who behind the scenes really creates and manages and operates and pushes through. It's easy to have a dream. It's something else to make that dream happen. Those are some of the leaders that actually do that. So we want to thank them for their ministry. And we love Whole Heart, love our choir and orchestra, love their service today with us. I, I know you're glad you came to church. <clears throat> Now we're going to move into the last message of our revival series, a five-week series. Talked about a lot of things. But basically, revival is something as dead has come to life, restored, refreshed, made new. And that really is a vital understanding of Christianity, about doing that in groups, churches, and individual lives. That's what God is always about. And the Holy Spirit's a key part of that, moving, shaking, and changing, and transformation. It's about who we are. Let me begin by giving you a kind of an analogy, an illustration that might help you a little bit. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I found myself on the tarmac or runway, if you want to call it, uh, underneath an RA-5C Vigilante, which was a reconnaissance aircraft back in those years, a very large jet, uh, a carrier-based jet. On my knees underneath that thing, with my hand up in the innards of the aircraft, uh, checking for hot air leaks while the pilot was revving the jets. You know, really loud. Thinking I'm hearing loss today because of my experience in those years. There I'm kneeling on the tarmac, and at that point, uh, my dungaree, the knees had long since worn out on my on my pants, kneeling on the tarmac so many times. My 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 boot my, my boondockers, which are uh, the shoes we would wear, uh, the toes had worn down to the steel toe underneath was was being revealed. Uh, and that was part of my journey, and and, and that's what I'm doing. And now 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 it didn't begin that way though. It began not with that adventure on aircraft carriers and shore duty underneath an RA-5 vigilante. He's getting ready to send a pilot out on his mission. It began with a picture I'm going to show you of a brochure. I got that in the mail my senior year of high school. And it's actually a 1971 brochure you're seeing. That's not new. And I saw that and I thought, that's the coolest thing. Uh, actually, I would probably say neat. That's the neatest thing. The, you know, there's that ship, and you can see the, the water that's kind of splashing around the bow of the ship. There's a submarine in the front, and it says, it's your journey, <clears throat> Navy. And I thought, I want to do that. You know, I want to I see the world. 
I want to wear a Navy uniform. And so I found myself not long after that standing there, you know, making my commitment to the, the U.S. government and the U.S. Navy and to defend the cause of freedom, what we're doing. And I found myself a, a few months later after boot camp with this moment. And there it is. Uh, yes, I was 18. Uh, yes, I weighed 150 pounds. For those who are worried about what I weigh today, they think some people think I'm underweight. I weigh 50 pounds more than I did then. So to give you a clue where I am today. But that's, that happened as well. And I knew that was coming. But the reality is it led to the beginning journey I described to you. Now we're talking about revival today. We're talking about how we begin. It's easy <clears throat> to become a Christian because God does it all. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world to save us. And he does that. <clears throat> he does the saving work. He does the, the forgiveness. He gives the grace. <clears throat> he does the transformation moment. God does all that as a gift for us. It's not that hard to do to say, Jesus, come into my heart. If you've not done that, I hope you will. I hope you'll say today, Jesus, I give my life to you. You may not know what you're saying. You may not know what it really means. Like I didn't know when I said, I want to be in the Navy. I want to be on that ship and see the world. It was going to end up being on that tarmac underneath that RA5C vigilante, checking the hot air leaks while the engine's revving up, and I was losing my hearing. Mention that to my wife. She'll, uh, she'll say, yes, yes. What does it mean? It's easy to become a Christian. <clears throat> it is hard to be one. We become a Christian because God loves us, and that is a bright moment when we realize <clears throat> how deeply through Christ that God loves us. The cross shows us that. <clears throat> the death of his son shows us that, how God loves us. We realize, though, that our love for God is what leads us to be a disciple. God, I love you so much, I'm going to follow you. I love Jesus so much, I'm going to follow him. And it changes our life when we make that decision. And the message title today <clears throat> is Almost Are Altogether Christian. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Got some water over there. I think the funky town 12-mile run I did last night in Fort Worth is beginning to tell. <laughs> Which we finished in about two hours and 20 minutes. For those who know about running, that's really slow, but we did finish. <laughs> Almost are altogether Christian. John Wesley penned that sermon, the founder of the Methodist Church, the one who led to where we are today, the one who dreamed of a church that would serve the world, the one who began simply by trying to revive his own church, the Church of England, by bringing good news of Christ to it and also expectations of what the Christian life looked like toward the middle of what he called the revival. Because it was a revival. People were coming to Christ all over England and all over the New World, all over the colonies that were coming to Christ. It was an amazing moment where the good news was being spread, just everywhere people coming to Jesus. Halfway through that revival, he began to notice something. He said, there, there are people I see who come to Christ, there's no evidence of it. They begin to follow, but they give up. They make the decision, but they don't follow through and reflect their faith in the world they live in. And it upset him. And so he penned this sermon called, 
almost Christian. The title of that for John Wesley comes from the book of Acts, near the end of that book, about the Apostle Paul who's talking to the governor of the northern part of Israel about his faith. In an amazing moment, he'd been arrested and he had a chance to appeal, and so he represents himself and he tells his story about the Damascus Road when he came to Christ, how God worked in his life, how God led to where he was at that moment, how he served God in the world. And, and, and this guy named Felix heard those words, and Felix knew a lot already. His wife was a believer in God, Drusilla. She knew who God was, a believer in the Jewish God. We think maybe he believed in God as well. He had that concrete sense of God. And he was very familiar, we're told in that passage, with the people, called, uh, the people of the way, which is what Christians were called in those days. They were people of this new way they were trying to figure. He knew about those people, and Paul was the center of that. And he saw him, and, and as he hears Paul tell a story, he says, almost, almost, you persuade me to become a Christian. And that's where this title comes from, almost Christian. And it bothered Wesley that people were not following through on their faith. And so he preaches a sermon And he adds to it, I wish you, I hope you'll be, I want you to be an all-together Christian. We might use the term all-in Christian, but that's not the term they use in those days. Not an almost, an all-together Christian. I think life many times is like a container. And God, in fact, the Bible says we're like pots, clay pots that God puts his treasure in. We're like a container, but often that container either has or does or will fill up with whatever. Just, I, think, I don't think Wesley would use those words, but fill up with whatever. And fills up so full, there's no room really for the Christian life. There's no room for the godly, there, there's no room for the, there's no room for that life. And that often happens to people. I think it happens to all of us, especially in the world we live in today. It is so complex, so demanding, so overwhelming. We have no room for our own faith we, prof- we profess. Uh, it was great, the, seri- the, 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 the conference we just finished, uh, it's Friday and Saturday, uh, it talk- spoke a lot about that same simple idea. So I want to say a prayer for you to start right now. I want to say a prayer before I go any further, uh, that God has kind of empty us out a little bit. Uh, make us more available more able to hear what he might say, more readily empty in a way that he can fill us with what he wants to have in our lives, that we can really be what we want to be, which is, I want to believe in you, Jesus, and I want you to save me from my sin, but I also want to follow you and be your disciple. I'll be filled with what you want to have in my life. So I'm going to pray that prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I know you love everyone here. And you got us here somehow by a series of things that, that happened in our life that somehow got us in church this morning. We thank you for the grace that set us down in the pew today. And so, God, I ask you right now just to cleanse us and wash us and empty us. May we hear what you might say to us. You might be what you call us to be and do what you call us to do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So until we empty ourselves out, we can't put the big stuff in. There's big stuff God wants in your life, but all t- so, many lists, so many times little stuff just kind of crowds it out. There's no place for the big stuff and what that really means. The verses you heard read today, the, the text for the message, is a really legendary story of the, of the sower and the seed, a parable that Jesus Christ told to our world that we need to hear. 
And the story that he told, I mean, the people in that day would understand very, very readily, and we understand as well. The sower goes to sow seed, and the seed falls on the ground. Just, just out it goes. Sows that seed. Some falls on hard ground, and the birds come and snatch it up. You know, some, some, uh, grow, some grows in, in the weeds, and it grows up for a while, but the weeds kind of choke it out. You know, some uh, sow them on the rocks, and it grows up, but when, when the heat of the day comes, the, 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 seed just, the, the, the plant just dries out. And he, he makes a qualifier here of how we qualify the life of a disciple or a healthy, growing, flourishing plant, a healthy, flourishing, growing Christian follower of Christ, the one who really says, I know you love me, God. I thank you for that love you have for me. I accept the salvation you give me because of your love, but I love you back, and I'm going to serve you because I love you. And the qualifier is, he says it here clearly, it's fruit. And some, though, grows and flourishes and has fruit 30-fold, 50-fold, 100-fold. So that's the qualifier that Jesus used about the healthy Christian life. It's the fruit that they bear in their life. And it begins, it always begins, with what the very first of this series, four or five weeks ago, we talked about. And again, we're back to John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley began the Methodist church simply as a revival. He didn't begin it, to, he never intended to create a denomination. He didn't want to revive the church that was, bring people to Christ that had not been brought to Christ. Or he talked about his idea about the almost Christian and the concern he had with that. But it began for him at a place called Aldersgate. He was already a, a Church of England, Anglican pastor, vicar. He was already ordained. He was already a priest in that church. He'd been for many years. Highly educated. More educated than probably any pastor that you might know in this world today. They were very educated in, in Greek and, and Latin and Hebrew, multiple languages. Very educated and very, very dedicated. Wanted to do his very best he could, but he was lost. He was lost. He was lost. Went to a place called Aldersgate, and there he heard simply a very simple message, the reading of, from the book of Romans, the preface to by Martin Luther about how we are saved by our faith. And he heard the words that salvation is a gift that God gives because he loves you. You have to work for it, have to earn it, you have to pay for it. He wants you to have it. He wa- Just take it. It's here. And when he, when he heard those words, he responded later on what happened in his heart. And here's how he describes what happened. He says these words, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. He has taken away my sins, even mine. And he saved me. I'm paraphrasing a little bit of a longer sentence, but that is the gist of what he said. And he saved me. God did that for me. And I so appreciate that. I'm so grateful. I want to serve him. Uh, I, I love God for that. And so I want to live for him. I, I appreciate God's gifts. So he went to serve God as he challenges the same thing. Not an almost Christian, but an altogether Christian in his life. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, I'll give it to you. He said, you hear what I say? I'll give it to you. I will give you that rest. I will give you that peace. I will give you that joy. I will give that to you. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. 
We have that God's gift of love to save us. It's, it's, I gave it. I'm going to forgot. He gave his son. He gave it to pay for it, earn it. It's just a gift. Thank, why we're probably why you're here. Probably why you, you were drawn to church throughout your life or drawn to us today. It's why you came. Is there something beyond me that God might give me that only? Yes. And he gives that gift. The Bible goes on to say it's the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. And then in the book of Acts, many times it's believe and be saved. Just believe and be saved. The words for me are supernatural. It's a work that God does in us. It's a very Methodist word, by the way, a very Wesleyan word, what God does in us and for us in that moment. And so we simply ask. So if you've not done that, I hope you will. All you're going to say is, Jesus, I give you my life. I messed, maybe you, might, you might say I messed it up. Maybe you, maybe not. I give it to you. It begins like that. The second part of this, uh, filling in that container God has made us to be, accountability to people who care about you is a gift to yourself. I think often this is the hardest one for you and I to really understand this idea of how we are called to be accountable to other people because they're, they're sinners like us. You know, they're not, you know, they're, they, their lives can sometimes be as much difficult as ours. So to be accountable to them is a big deal in our life. And yet it's a huge part of what God intends for us to make room for in our life. We certainly have this uh, home group time and class time coming up. You can do it in your own home. Do with neighbors, do with those you, uh, friends you might have, family. You can do with church groups. You can sign up today and say, I want to be part of that. That's still, you can go in the back today and do that. Buy your book. If you buy your book, you'll find that opportunity to connect with that. And you're saying, hey, the Bible says do that. It's part of filling my life up. I want to have that as well in my life. Church is part of that. How we connect that way, how we are to be the church, and how God designed what God designed to transform people's lives. Because God designed the church to be a key component of that, transforming communities, transforming the world, transforming you and me. We come together and just knock around together and see how God works in each one of us to create who he wants us to be. Some, some of that requires how to learn forgiveness. Sometimes it requires how to learn to be forgiven. It's all part of the church, the center of the cross of Jesus Christ and why the church works. We bend the knee to God in that way. Accountability to people who care about you is a gift to yourself. And that's true. I've always thought marriage is a big, big evidence of that. In my own life, certainly it is that. Well, thirdly, holiness is belonging to God so fully that our one aim is to live a life that honors that relationship. And for those that were here a few weeks ago, you've heard me say that before, but I want to give it to you again today as we put the series to, to bed today and see where it's going to carry us beyond this time today. Holiness is belonging to God so fully that our one aim is to live a life that honors that relationship. Now, how do we know that? How do we do that? I mean, what are the ways that that works for us? First, we have to say, I give my life to God. And now, what can I do that my life belongs to God to honor that most important, high value, I so appreciate, that relationship with God? What can I do? And I thought, let's look at it backwards to really help you understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, that That... Anything in my life or yours that breaks or hinders fellowship with God is anything but holy. You know, so if I'm doing things or, and, it, and it does not create and foster that or it breaks that, interferes with that, damages that, 
or removes that from me or makes it distance from me, then I'm not living a holy life. Then I'm not a holy person. Holiness is about that relationship with God that we place at the highest value of our life. So what is it? What do I do? How do I make that happen? I hope today in church and worship you've been able to connect with God a little bit. Maybe in whole heart with singing and this amazing song. Maybe, maybe time of prayer. Maybe when those babies were up here. That's, that's just a special thing when we, we pray for a baby and dedicate a baby, commission a baby, bless a baby, we baptize a baby. That is so special. I hope you've experienced a little bit of that right there as you've drawn to God. But so many times people leave church and they're back into that life full of so much stuff that doesn't, often doesn't matter or whatever stuff they immediately move away from that sense. We have to empty it to refill it with what really matters in our life. That's about holiness. God's love saves us. Our love for God moves us into a holy life. I love you, God. As I love you, I don't want anything that prevents me from connecting with you whenever I choose, whenever you choose. Every minute, every, every day, or whenever those moments come, we say, God, Lord, help me bless you. Thank you. Can I serve you? Well, the fourth thing is this one. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. And that is a quote from John Wesley as well, uh, which is a key part of our church. You've already heard evidence of that with uh, Mitch and Susan and Teresa and so many others in our church staff and so many of you. Uh, I, I can't tell you how often I hear people tell me, your church in this community is such an amazing church. There's no one that doesn't know about you in our area. And they, when they say, what do we know about First Methodist Church? They'll say, this church serves a community. They serve other people. They care about the world we live in. They know that about you. may not know anything else, but they know that about you. And so I know that's very true here about this church family. But I got an a, a, a email earlier this week. Some have seen it. I put it in my thought for the week. I want everybody to be able to hear it. And the email came from a young man in our church who was here last Sunday. And last Sunday, uh, the sermon title was What Jesus Said. It's about social holiness. Uh, and in that, we told the story that, Je that, that Jesus said about, if, you do, if you've done it the least of these, these my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so he remembered that. And he said, I really never had assimilated it very well. I'm going to paraphrase his letter, by the way. It's a very long letter, so I'm going to tell you as best as I can what was in that letter. He said, I went to work, as he, as he always did, and he works in downtown Fort Worth. It went, came time for lunch. He ran down for that lunch, 30-minute lunch hour, however long it is, and went to a sandwich place there in Fort Worth. So when I, walk, when I went there, I walked by a homeless man leaning up against a wall there. Uh, and he said, I always run into homeless people. They're all over downtown Fort Worth. He said, I'm, I'm really uh, desensitized to them. I don't even notice that they're most of the time. And if I do, I think, hey, Somebody else is there to take care of them. There's agencies, there's other kind of organizations. Other people's job to take care of them are, hey, they need to get themselves out of that trouble themselves. They probably got themselves into. That's how I've dealt with homeless people in the past. Never thought of it any other way. Never considered it. I'm going to say never had room in that bucket, that, that, that container for any thoughts like that. But while I'm sitting there, they sit me right uh, at a window where I can see the guy as he's eating lunch. And, and, and then I hear, then, then your sermon came to my mind, uh, you know, what Jesus said. I've been thinking about it. And he said, and I thought about the scripture verses. And, and he said, so I, I made the decision to take my sandwich. And he said, for, he said, I think if God was already working in this because they brought me twice the food I could eat. 
the, the order was somehow a, mis- a mistake order, and so I had so much food, so I took half the sandwich, wrapped it up to keep it warm. I'm going to give it to him when I leave. So I figured I'd get a terse thank you, his words, a terse thank you maybe. Uh, but instead I gave the sandwich to him, and he first said he, he motioned to his throat and his mouth, uh, and it was hot that day, and, and, and I realized he wanted my half glass of tea I had in my hand. So I gave him my half glass of tea, and then, then I started to leave, and he said, no, no. And he grabbed my hand, and he said, I'm going to pray for you. And so he pulled me down, and he got on his knees next to this homeless man. This homeless man prayed for him, uh, prayed for God to bless him, protect him. Other words, he said, I didn't fully understand all the words, but he prayed for me. You know, and, and his story basically is he experienced God. God, in a way, he, he may have never had before in that place, in that kind of tiny, simple little time that he made room for, that never been room for before. And I don't know where it's going to lead, but that's where it started. And God worked in that place in a very unique, very special way as he touched his heart and touched his life in this moment of what we might call social holiness, as there he he found fellowship with God on his knees next to a homeless man and a sandwich, a glass of tea, and his own tears. And then he had to send me a note immediately. I've got to tell you this story because I have to tell it. Somebody has to know it and hear it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but you have it. So, so I'm telling it to you. A small thing, but a big thing, a Christian thing. You know, Wesley was very, very concerned about the seeds planted all around and the millions of people that the Methodist church and Methodists and Wesleyans and he had preached to about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's very concerned that 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 sowing, that it wasn't growing like he hoped it would in some places in some people's lives. So he talked about it under the terms, almost, Christian, I want you to be an altogether Christian in this life. There's a miracle in every seed God plants of possibilities. The seeds God planted in your life today in this message or this time of worship or in the past. There are miracles of God and only God knows what's there. You plant seeds, what's going to be? Is it going to be a flower, beautiful sunflower? Is it going to be a a vegetable and tomatoes and squash? Is it going to be an oak tree? But there's a miracle in each one that only God knows what's in it and God put it in that place. Like God has sowed in your life today his word. It's time of worship, as he probably has in the past. Maybe it's grown a great deal. Maybe it hasn't. It's been stunted by weeds. Maybe the rocky ground has got in the way of it growing like it should. But today we think about the prayer prayed early in the service, that the ground is good and may it grow. And how do we know the qualifier? The qualifier of it, what Jesus said anyway, is simply fruit. Little and big, but only God knows what it might be and our calls to respond. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you today for the words you give us. We hear them. May they go beyond, though, this hour of worship. May they go home with us in our cars, our trucks, maybe a motorcycle or two. May they go home with us to our apartments, our homes, our families, or maybe we might be alone. And may they grow and flourish within us and through us. 
as you give us once again anew the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who always is willing to so save so freely. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.